everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and today I want to talk to you about what I've been talking about almost nonstop for the last 30-ish hours, and that is, of course, the indictment of the former president. For the first time in our nation's history, a former president, in this case, President Trump has been criminally indicted. And I want to tell you briefly exactly what that means and what it doesn't mean. So indictment watch is now over. We know that the former president will be formally charged with crimes. We don't know what is in that charging document, what's in the indictment, but we have a sense. And we don't know exactly what the next step is going to look like. We know that there will be an arraignment. We know that there will be pretrial hearings. But the usual steps, while they will occur, will be somewhat unusual because, of course, we're talking about the foreign president of the United States. We're talking about somebody who has round-the-clock Secret Service protection. And so none of this, as you've heard me say so many times on this podcast, none of this will be normal. So let's get right to it. What do we think is going to be in that indictment? The reporting indicates that the crux of the criminal violations here will be based on a New York state violation and specifically the falsification of business records. Based on what you're asking me? Well, based on Trump repaying his former attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, who himself paid Stormy Daniels, the adult film star, to not share her story that she allegedly had an affair with Trump, and she was going to share that story right before the 2016 election. Now, let's stop here for a minute and talk about Michael Cohen. You might be asking me, didn't Michael Cohen serve prison time, in part for the payment that he made to Stormy Daniels. And the answer is yes, he did. Michael Cohen pled in open court, and he said, I violated the federal campaign finance laws because when I made those payments to Stormy Daniels, it was in order to try and affect the 2016 election. And therefore, they were illegal campaign contributions. They were way over the amount and they were not reported. He also went to prison for other crimes, but that was one of the big ones. Now, Michael Cohen said in open court, and this was accepted by a federal judge, I made that payment. When I paid Stormy Daniels, that was at the direction of individual number one. And we all know that individual number one is the former president. So let's loop back to the case that we're talking about today. How is the former president implicated here? Because when he repaid Michael Cohen, apparently he said that those were legal expenses. And apparently he said there was a retainer agreement that existed that didn't exist. And he also inflated the repayment. He repaid more than the $130,000 that Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels to make it allegedly look like legal expenses. Now, that's where we get the falsification of business records. That typically is a misdemeanor. How does that jump up and become a felony? Because the reporting indicates that we're talking about felonies here. That jumps up and becomes a felony 
if the prosecutor can show that the former president had the intent to commit another crime or conceal another crime related to the falsification of those business records. Okay, pause again. We have a fork in the road here. So what are those other crimes going to be? On the one hand, they could be state crimes. So there's a provision of New York state law that deals with elections and basically says very generally, don't enter into a conspiracy to unlawfully try and get somebody elected or defeated. We could also be talking about federal crimes here. What's one potential federal crime? Well, we actually just talked about it, a federal campaign finance violation. Already the payment from Cohen to Daniels was viewed as an illegal campaign contribution. And then on top of that, the foreign president repaid Cohen for that illegal campaign contribution, that could be seen as violating federal election law. We don't know yet. What are some potential complications here? Well, a potential complication, although not insurmountable, is that the former president obviously was a federal candidate. So does it make sense to charge him with a state crime? I think the answer is yes, it absolutely could. And New York does have, I believe, jurisdiction over that behavior. The second question is, well, what if we choose the route of a federal crime? Does a state prosecutor have jurisdiction over that? And I think the answer is yes. We hook things like the falsification of business records to tax fraud, for instance, to federal tax fraud all the time. So I think that's a hurdle that the prosecutors in this case can pass. But let's remember intent is difficult to prove. Again, does not mean that it's insurmountable, but in order to bring, as I said, that falsification of business records up from a misdemeanor to a felony, you're going to have to show that the former president formed the intent to commit another crime or conceal another crime. We're talking about somebody who speaks in code. We're talking about somebody who really doesn't reduce many things to a writing. And so I don't think that there will be, as I've said before, a smoking gun here. Now, that's what I expect in terms of the charges. It's always, of course, on the table that we could also see charges related to the other activities that the New York DA's office was looking at. And specifically, I mean the financial crimes related to Trump and the Trump organization, where allegedly the former president and his organization lied about the value of properties in order to get favorable tax treatment, basically lied and said that certain properties were valued well below what they actually were in order to pay less taxes on them, and then lied and said that some properties were valued well above what they actually were in order to get better loans and better insurance offers. And of course, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, has actually brought a civil case based on those activities, based on those facts. So we could potentially, I don't expect it, but we could potentially see charges related to those activities as well. So that's what I think the charging document here will include. Now, what do we expect to happen early next week. The reporting indicates that Tuesday the arraignment will happen. So as I said, some of the steps here have to happen for every person charged with a crime, but 
we've never seen the former president go through these steps before. So we will have to have the former president walk into the courthouse. It's called the New York Supreme Court, even though it's the trial level court. And he will be fingerprinted. Those will be electronic fingerprints. There will be a picture taken. That will be the mugshot. He will be arraigned. A judge will read the charges in court and he will plead. And we all, of course, expect that he will plead not guilty. Then I also expect that he will spend no time in custody, that for both safety reasons and practical reasons, that he will essentially be released immediately and fly back to Mar-a-Lago. Again, reminder, we're talking about nonviolent felonies here. I don't think there's any reason to believe that he would, in fact, be held in a jail cell for any amount of time. What happens after that? Well, of course, we're going to hear a lot from the former president outside of the courtroom. What we really need to focus on, as always, is what does he say and what do his lawyers say inside the courtroom? Because that's under oath. There are different penalties that attach to statements that you say in a courtroom. And there will be, we think, pretrial motions. We, of course, need to look to see if the former president takes any plea deal that might be offered. And all of this, the legal calendar is going to map on top of the electoral calendar. There's a chance that potentially we could see a trial if it comes to that. That happens right around the political conventions leading up to 2024. We, of course, have to remember that the former president is a candidate once again for the presidency. And as I mentioned on the podcast, I think that that is in large part that he announced very early on that he was a candidate because he knew these indictments might be coming. I expect that there could be other indictments. And he wanted to complicate matters for prosecutors to say, well, they're just charging me because I'm a candidate. Whereas, of course, all of these investigations have been ongoing for months, if not years in some cases. Now, a lot of people are asking, can the candidacy continue even though he's now indicted? And what if he's convicted? And the answer is, yes, he can continue running to be the next president of the United States. And in fact, the Constitution contains the exclusive qualifications for becoming president. And he is over 35 years old. He was born in this country and he has fulfilled the residency requirements. And so you can run for president, even if you've been indicted, even in fact, if you've been convicted. There's some chatter about whether or not if you're convicted of inciting or aiding or abetting an insurrection, can you still be the president? And I think the answer actually is that maybe you still can be because, again, it's the Constitution that lays out the qualifications for becoming president. And that is a statute that lays out the remedies for inciting an insurrection or aiding and abetting an insurrection. And one of those remedies, as we talked about on the podcast, is that you would be disqualified from holding federal office. Now, I hope it doesn't get to that. But I will say there's a safety valve here, which is impeachment. If we got to a point where the former president was, in fact, convicted of crimes and also was elected to be the next president of the United States, that is a moment where I think impeachment 
again, depending on the circumstances, absolutely could be a safety valve and could save us from a situation where we have a convicted felon who is the president of the United States. One last thing I wanted to mention, how does this all play out politically? And the answer is, I think nobody really knows. But if you look at how much Trump has fundraised over the last week or so based on the idea that he will be indicted, I think that this indictment actually could be helpful for parts of the Republican base. And of course, the first thing he's doing is running to be the Republican nominee. He has told his supporters for so long, I am a victim. I am the victim of the worst political witch hunt. And I think that just feeds into this narrative and could help him in the short term. But wait until the general election. If he does, in fact, get the nomination, then he has to appeal to a much broader audience. And I think that's where we have some problems. That's where we have problems because how can you make the case to independents and moderates that all of the baggage that comes with Trump is, in fact, worth it? I think there will be people who maybe want Trumpism, but they won't want Trump. That is a quick explanation of, I hope, everything you need to and want to know about the indictment. Again, a historic first. We will keep you updated. Of course, please rate, review, subscribe. And we wish all of you happy listening and we'll get more to you very soon. 